I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. years old. I am in seventh grade and we're being confirmed. I'm being confirmed today. Hello, my name is Jacob. I am 11 and in sixth grade and I'm being confirmed today. Colossians 1, 15 through 26. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God is pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, and you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. 
provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. I became its servant according to God's commissions that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. To them God chose make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory and, and of the, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope, the glory. It is he whom he we Well, today, friends, we're starting a new sermon series called What We Talk About When We Talk About God. And I wonder, I wonder if you've noticed, I wonder if you've noticed what I've noticed, that we just get kind of stuck when we talk about God. Like, who is God? Where is God? Why is God the way God is? How, how am I to describe and make sense of this God? We get stuck. We get stuck when we talk about God, and yet intuitively, down deep in our bones, we still feel this sense of unexplainable reverence and awe, this, this hum in us that leads us over and over again back to God. You wouldn't be here today if, if that wasn't true for you. And so what do we make of this? What do we make of this God? Throughout this series, I hope, I hope that in new ways, in a, in, a, in a new set of words, with a new language, perhaps a language that you can connect with, that relates deeply with maybe this unexpressed way you view God, I hope that we can get at what we talk about when we talk about God. And, and I want us to do so with some really simple words. Some, some simple words that you may not have ever thought to use when you talk about God, that God is, that God is open, God is both, God is with and for and ahead, and so open, with, for, ahead, so. And so today we start with the God who is open, who is generously mysterious. Did you hear it today as, um, as, as Jake and, and Barrett read from Colossians? The Apostle Paul talks about God in, in the hidden places, in the mysteries. Did you hear it? Paul says this God in Jesus is of the heavens and is walking the earth. This God is, is visible and this God is invisible. 
before all things, in all things, holding things together, this open and generous mystery of this God and Jesus is reconciling all things, gathering together, holding all together until this God is in all and through all and revealed in all. This is the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages, Paul says. Have you ever thought of God as this spacious? Is this open? So that that God is reconciling all things so that God can be in all, through all, revealed in all, in all. How expansive, how open is this God? The thing is, we're, we're not nearly open enough to the God who is open. Before COVID, when I was getting coffee or beer regularly with, with some of you and, and other people from the community, I would, I would just laugh because in the span of one day, I could basically be asked, Michelle, don't, don't, don't you believe in miracles? You do, right? And then hours later in a completely separate conversation, Michelle, you don't believe in miracles, do you? One person is is concerned I've lost my faith while another person is concerned I've lost my mind. And this is what I mean when I say we're, we're not nearly open enough to the God who is open, are we? There's this this giant either-or embedded in, in those questions, faith or intellect, belief or reason, miracles or logic, faith or, or science. We make it either-or, but Paul says this God and Jesus reconciles, brings together, holds together all things so that this God may be in all and through all and revealed in all. We're not nearly open enough to the God who is open. But how did it get this way? Well, to get at that, um, I think we've got to talk a little bit about physics. And you are in luck because I never took a physics class in high school or college. <laughs> but I, I do know, based on life and the fact that I am clumsy and accident prone, ask my husband that, and help me complete this sentence, y'all, an object in motion stays in motion. I know this because I'm clumsy and accident prone. But I also know this because I, I do remember in some generic middle school science class learning about Newton's laws and how basic those laws are to the way we think about speed and motion and mass and movement. But before, before Newton's groundbreaking 17th century book on the law of physics, the reason that the majority of people would have given for why the world works the way it does? Well, it's because God made it that way. That's how things are. Why would you need an explanation beyond that, right? 
but but Newton was fascinated beyond which that would satisfy for him. He couldn't see it that way. Newton opened up this whole new world for us. He dug out these these predictable, knowable, rational rules and explanations that governed how the universe operates and how and, and, and the causes that lead to effects and the clear connections between the two. Newton showed that you could know the speed and position of something because motion was understood to be continuous and consistent. Given, given enough data about weight and, and speed and a number of other variables, outcomes could be computed and accurately predicted and this, this new way of seeing the world brought so many exciting possibilities with it. Things could be built and engineered and created and designed by plotting trajectories and paths and measuring how, how much opposing force would be needed to stop and move and push and pull things of certain weights and certain speeds. He opened up this whole new way of seeing the world. Along with these new ways of conceiving of, of the physical world came new ways of thinking about how we know what we know. We've all heard that phrase. You should know it. I think, therefore I am. It's, it's by Descartes. And so familiar that it that it's it's easy to lose the sense of how absolutely groundbreaking those words were when that phrase was was uttered for the first time. Because for the majority of people at that time, knowledge was seen as something that humans were just given by God through what is called revelation. If you if you asked how we know what we know. The standard answer would have been, well, well, God told us. But, but, but Descartes, his fascination outgrew that answer. He didn't just see it that way. He insisted that we can know what we know, not, not because of a divine being who chose for some reason to reveal it to us, but because we arrived at that knowledge through our own our own reason and our own logic, which launched, which launched humans into this era called the golden age of certainty and gave birth to what we call the scientific method, that system of, of, of testing, experimenting, comparing data that scientists use today. And this whole new world was opened up, this explosion of 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 discovering and, and exploration, also called the Enlightenment, that opened up human history and, and moved human understanding forward ahead in astonishing ways. But these understandings also, they have limits. They have limits. Limits that we become so aware of when we, when we talk about God. Limits that come into play when we begin to talk about this God who is open and begin to reflect on how we are not nearly open enough, open enough to this God who is open. 
one of these limits affects how we filter knowledge. That as the world, as, as, as this, this new world of the prominence of, of reason and logic began to open up to us, other ways of knowing If the only way we know things now is through testing and prodding of, of, a, of the scientific method, what happens then when we, when we know something in a way that bypasses those tests and processes? Like, does everything we know have to be able to be intellectually proven? In a lab, for, for something to be valid, it has to be proven repeatedly through tests and experiments that yield demonstrable evidence, right? But, but, but what about those things that you just know, absolutely, positively know to be true? What, what about those things that you would be hard-pressed to produce evidence for if asked? Like, like, explain how that one song just moves you. You know what song I'm talking about. Explain that. Or, or articulate why you fell in love with that person. Or, or try to prove any data at all for, for why that meal you shared with those, those people you call your friends made your soul sour and dissatisfied and bitter afterward which has to lead us to a crucial truth that there are ways of knowing that don't use our intellect. The truth is that outside of the lab and in the course of our very real lives, some experiences, they just, they just act on us. They seize us, capture us, woo us. And we don't understand them, and we don't stand over them. We engage with them as they just happen to us. We don't know why, but, but we know it's real. Which brings us back to faith. When a scientist says, I don't understand something fully right now, but I will, I will given enough time in this method, that is, in fact, a belief. That is faith. And I'm not talking about, about people of faith versus people of science. I'm talking about all people of faith. Just faith in different things. Science does this, this excellent job of telling me why, as a human, I, I don't have a tail but it can't explain why I find that fascinating. You, your elbows and your pancreas and your sternum are able to be measured and evaluated in very straightforward ways. But what about your soul? It's been said that the soul is naked of all things that bear names. which I would say is a bit like God. 
Because when we're talking about God, the God who is open, we're talking about a reality known and felt and experienced, but one that cannot be located in any specific physical space in any tangible way, and yet is, is still the God who in Jesus is all in all, through all, revealing God's self in all, completely open. When we talk about God, we're talking about something so very real and yet beyond are our conventional means of analysis and description. And the, the Germans actually have a word for this. We don't have one in English language, but they do. And it, it, they call it Grinsbegriff. Grinsbegriff. It describes that, that which is, is open, so very real, and yet beyond analysis and description. When we talk about the God who is open, we're talking about this grins begriff kind of faith that sees science and faith as the dance partners they've always been, each guiding and informing the other. A few years ago, I was at Fairfax and Nova waiting to, to visit someone post-op, and I decided to visit the hospital chapel, and there was this woman in there sitting in the chapel who told me she had been in the hospital for ongoing cancer treatment. Just a few weeks before, she had been lying in her hospital bed thinking she was not gonna make it. She was at her absolute lowest, filled with utter despair and wondering if she was going to die. When this night nurse entered her room and began lovingly taking care of her, the nurse returned repeatedly throughout the night, she said, checking on her and calming her and speaking to her in a way that just lifted her spirit and gave her this sense of hope. And she woke up feeling like a completely different person. Filled with gratitude, she she asked the morning nurse for the name of the woman who had cared for her so well. And the nurse said that no one who fit her description worked on that floor of the hospital wasn't assigned to her room last night. And I wonder what you make of a story like that. Gosh, I have heard so many stories like that. People who, who don't have enough money to buy groceries, all of a sudden finding their front porch filled, overflowing with food. Really strange and odd and surreal sorts of stories. And yes, yeah, some of them can be attributed to basic coincidence. But over the years, I've heard tons of them, and not just from really zealous religious people, but also from the most educated and cynical people I know. Some people hear a story like that and they say, yes, of course. That, that had to be God. That had to be an angel taking care of her. They're all around us, watching us, guiding us, protecting us. And then others hear people responding like this, and they just roll their eyes, dismissing it as crazy talk. 
One says, of, of course she was an angel. And the other says, angels don't exist. This is the dilemma we find ourselves in every Easter. Believe it or not, there are so many people who call themselves Christians and they, they dismiss the resurrection of Jesus as at best a metaphor and at worst fantasy that belongs with all those other stories and beliefs and things that just don't happen. But there's a problem with dismissing all miracles out of hand. And that's, that's that strange things do happen. Things with, with no precedent and no explanation every single day and every single moment, billions and billions of times a second all around us and in our bodies. Time is bendy and curvy and not consistent. And, and the universe is curved. And if, and if Earth were slightly closer to the sun, we would all cook. And if it was slightly farther away from the sun, we would all freeze. It's all this grand mystery. It's all miraculous. You and me and the speed of light. It's all miraculous. And it always has been. When we, when we talk about God who is Grin's Begriff. We're, we're talking about the kind of intellectually honest faith that is as open-minded as the God we worship is open. Open-minded enough to, to admit that some phenomena have, have no rational explanation. This, this is the kind of faith the Apostle Paul is talking about today. He's talking about what it looks like for this God in Jesus who is utterly open, visible and invisible before all things, in all things, through all things, reconciling all things. He is talking about what it looks like when we begin to be, to be rightly opened up to the God who is utterly open. He says, this is the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages. That Christ is is gathering all things, even, even science and faith, reconciling all things so that God may be in all and through all and revealed in all. And this God who is open has revealed this mystery to you, saints, so that you may be rightly open open to the mystery, open to the miracles, open to the God who is open. To believe that, that this is all there is and we are simply collections of neurons and atoms, that's being closed to anything beyond that particular size and scope of reality. But to believe that there's more here, there's more going on, that there may be a reality beyond what you can comprehend, beyond what you currently see, that is something else. That's leaning into the mystery. That's being open to the God who is open. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Son. I want you today to hear from someone in our congregation, um, our friend Zach Linke, as he shares with us today how he 
how he makes sense of how he relates to this God who is open in his life, this God who is generous mystery. Would you listen? Hi, I'm Zach Lenke. I like to think of myself as a collector. When I was younger, I spent a lot of my time counting and cataloging and sorting and hoarding things like baseball cards, Star Wars trading cards, action figures, video games, or anything else that I could afford with my meager earnings from babysitting and lawn cutting. My bedroom was a museum to my stuff. Behold my stuff, I would think. I was really proud of this stuff, but after a while it would collect dust as I moved on from one collection to another. My family moved across the country when I was younger. I'd lost a lot of my stuff. Some of it through attrition and hard packing and damage. Some of it was accidentally given away to goodwill, or so my mom claims. But most of it was packed away and forgotten about as my interests changed and evolved over time. The collections of my youth have, for the most part, vanished at this point, either to the depths of my parents' basement or relegated to my own shelves, again, collecting dust. But my obsession with collecting is still here and alive. Aside from scratching the occasional itch, I don't buy as much stuff or toys or things like I used to. But I've started a collection and a catalog of little sayings and small ideas and quips, maybe fragments of interesting conversations or half-remembered rough concepts. I use this collection to shape my thoughts, my ideas, and, and me. For example, I love the Wes Anderson film The Life Aquatic, and 20-year spoiler alert, at the end of the film, the whole cast is confronting the monster that they've all set out to kill. The protagonist, played by Bill Murray, chooses not to take revenge and not to kill the creature that killed his best friend. He just asks, I wonder if it remembers me, and then begins to sob. I thought it was a beautiful scene. I asked myself the same question, because I have the same desire to be remembered, so how can I? Anyways, I've collected that question and assimilated it into me in the weird way that people somehow do that. Sometimes what I've picked up is flat out wrong or stupid or some vain attempt to sound smart. Fortunately, I have a lot of people, whether in my family or this church or my common table, my friends that recognize what's gotten inside of me and help peel it out, break it down. One thing that sticks out for me of all time, it's kind of like an earworm kind of a saying, is from Socrates. The unexamined life is not a life worth living. I'm not a student of philosophy and don't know if I've actually read anything else by Socrates. If I have, it's long forgotten. And it's a pop's, pop culture kind of saying. It's something that you'd find on the back of a cereal box, and a lot of people know it but I don't think it takes away from the depth of that idea. To me, it's an idea that through much of my life has made me guarded and build up walls within and around my faith. But paradoxically, with a lot of open, non-judgmental conversations with so many wonderful people in this church and in my life, it's helped me be more open to the mystery of faith. If I can question if God exists at all, and question that if he does, what evidence is there that he loves and cares for me? then I can use that same idea and assume the opposite is true. What evidence do I have to prove that God doesn't exist? And if God doesn't exist, then why do I feel so loved? Faith does not come easy to me. 
I don't expect that it ever will. One day I'll die and then I'll know. Or I won't. Till then, you just have to be open to the possibility and continue to struggle on and persist with the openness of that question. One of my other great pieces of my collection is the saying, be who you are and be that well, from St. Francis of Sales. Maybe that's all I can be. Someone who questions and struggles the mysteries of faith in the universe. But someone who struggles well and is open to those mysteries. Yeah.